Today's message is in Romans chapter 10, so please go with me there. Romans chapter 10. We looked at the first half last Sunday, and we'll look at the second half this morning. To catch everyone up to speed, we've been verse by verse in the book of Romans for several months, and the theme is good news for a broken world. There's no better news than the announcement that God became a man, that God came into this world, he gave his life, he made a way to reconcile us, he made a way to save us. We sang about that this morning, being saved, well, first of all, redeemed by his blood, saved by his blood. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come and there is salvation in him. And because of that, we should never be ashamed of it. So let's read our theme verse together. Our theme verses are Romans 1, 16 and 17. And let's read it like we believe it. Begin together with me. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Chapter 10 now, verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. Was there a day that you called on the name of Jesus? I sure hope so. A day that you put your faith and your trust in him. The Bible says anyone who will call on his name receive the promise of salvation. But what I want you to see as we move into the second half of chapter 10 this morning is that this salvation is not something that we keep to ourselves, is it? The gospel message is not something that we are to receive. And as Jesus said, he said, it's like a candle. You don't take a candle and put it where? Under a bushel. But rather, you're going to let it, gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We must always remember the reason that Jesus left us here. And that is to be on his gospel mission. In fact, what is the very last thing the very last thing that Jesus said to the believers that were gathered together. Boy, I'm sure we'll hear a lot about it this weekend as we come to our missions emphasis. But the very last thing he said to them is this. As, they, as Jesus ascended to heaven, he says, And you shall be witnesses. You'll be witnesses of these things. You will tell the story, the good news that I have come and for 2,000 years, that is what the church has boldly done. We have been called to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the fact that it is so essential that we proclaim it because, as we saw last week, the gospel is our one and only hope. There is no plan B for the souls of men and women. And so I want to encourage us, and I made this statement last week, and I want to reinforce it this morning, the gospel of Christ is not just a good thing that we have added to our lives, right? Well, now I'm a Christian, and now I go to church, and now I have good friends that love me, and now I have, I, I've even my finances have improved, or my family has improved. My life is just a little bit better. Hey, you should come and know Jesus because your life will be a little bit better. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That's self-improvement. That's self-help with spiritual lingo. The gospel is that I was lost and hopeless. I was on my way to an eternity in hell until Jesus' light shone in my life. I believe that he died and rose for me, and I trusted him as my only hope for salvation. That his death his burial, and his resurrection is the only hope for my soul, but it's also the only hope for our friends, our neighbors, and the whole world. But sometimes we act as if it's just a good part of our life. The gospel is to be all of our life, fully encompassing, 
And now he reminds us in the second half about this important mission. A little bit of background you see in your introduction this morning, if you look at your notes. A little bit of background uh, just to make sure we properly understand the context of the scriptures. The background is in verse number one, Paul says that he has a burden in his heart and a prayer for the nation of Israel to come to know Christ as their Savior. His heart is just touched because he looks around and he sees his, the people he grew up with, the people who look like him. He's speaking about his ethnic people. And it's not that he doesn't have a burden for the world because, oh, Paul has a big burden for the world. But he's just especially burdened for his people. They look like him. They share his language. They share his customs. They had the same background and growing up. And he looks and he sees that they have rejected their only salvation. And his heart is broken for them. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they be saved. That's the background. He says, I want Israel. They have the promises of God. They have the word of God. I want them to know Christ. Boy, do any of you have religious friends or family members? They know Bible verses. They've even gone to church at different times and they have different religious practices, but they've not truly accepted Jesus as their savior. Boy, it should touch our heart like it touched Paul. But we're going to see here, Paul is both concerned for his immediate people, but he's also concerned for the Gentiles. We'll see that in this passage. But sadly, Israel has rejected. Paul explained that there's only salvation, as I just said, can only be found in Jesus. And then, of course, verse number 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But let's read on to verse number 14 and, and 15 and verse number uh, just. 13 through 15 for the first point this morning. So it says, For whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. But now verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written. I'd have you mark that statement, as it is written. You're going to find this morning that Paul quotes particularly often from the book of Isaiah in this passage. And that'll, that'll just, just kind of plant that nugget and we'll, we'll come back to it in a minute. As it is written, how... Beautiful. Y'all back with me now in verse number 15. How beautiful are the what? Feet. Point number one this morning, when it comes to this mission of the gospel, the gospel mission requires beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Now that makes us chuckle a little bit, doesn't it? I don't know if anyone would like to be used as an illustration this morning. We could take the shoes off. You could come up here. We could get a close-up on the camera. Steve would be happy to do that, to display some beautiful feet. I sure wouldn't want to uh, display mine, so we'll leave it there. But there's this, this, this statement, beautiful feet. What is the point of this? It's poetic. It's obviously not the physical features of the foot, but it is the news that the feet are bringing the wonderful news that are that the wonderful news that is being heralded by the one who is running and it's the picture of a messenger it's a picture of the messenger who has got such good news and he runs as fast as he can to deliver the news think of all of the stories of the ancient battles that would take place and as, as nations would be, the very, their very existence was on the brink. There was a decisive battle somewhere. And there was, no, there was no instant communication. If you were victorious in the battle, the only way the people at home could know is if you did what? You had to send a messenger. And the messenger would run and herald the tidings and bring the good news. In fact, this comes from Isaiah Chapter number 52, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52 in verse number 7. Listen to this. How beautiful, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth what? Peace. You following with me? 
bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. That bringeth good tidings of good. That publisheth salvation. That saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. What is this? This would have been a a passage that the Jewish people would have known so well. Because for many years they lived as captives of a foreign power. And they were, they were colonized, they were brutalized, they lived really as second-class citizens in their own land. They'd been conquered many times, but there were prophecies that good news would come. And they would have had the scripture memorized. How beautiful. Oh, can you imagine the day when the messenger comes and says, we're finally victorious. Peace has finally been secured. Salvation has been established for our nation. Our God now reigns. Well, Paul says, greater than any military victory, greater than the power of any nation, greater than the news of of any, any ultimate victory and triumph in battle is the good news that salvation has come for men and women. The good news that Messiah has come, that Jesus saves. There's no better news. But right here, he in this passage, he's not just, we already have seen the beauty and the glory of the message. But what is he focusing on here with these beautiful feet? He's not just focusing on the beauty and the glory of the message, but he's focusing on the beauty and the glory of the some of you heard it, said it, I heard it. Yeah, of the messenger. The one who brings the message. And so we see this, and we see this, this idea that, boy, nothing brings more beauty and joy and glory to God than when his people bring the good news. Ask yourself this question. And this would be a convicting question for all of us. Who is the last person that you shared the good news with? Could, could you write down a name right now? Could we? I'm not saying this to, I'm saying this to challenge us, to just reignite our heart and our passion. Who is the last person that you shared the good news of Jesus with? God says it's a beautiful thing. How many of you have ever had a moment where you shared the gospel with somebody? Maybe they responded favorably. Maybe they didn't respond favorably. But boy, isn't there, I'm, I'm going to use a, a word, I can't think of a better word, but is there not an, almost a feeling of euphoria after you've given the gospel to someone? You know what I'm talking about? And whenever that's happened, I'd be like, I'd, I'd, my, I'd thought like, wow, why don't I do this more often? Because what you experience in that moment is something supernatural. Because you are not just sharing the good news about some event, but you are giving a message that has the power of the Holy Spirit behind you. You're giving a message that is a supernatural message and a message that can change a person's life. It's good news. And it's beautiful. But the mission requires beautiful feet. Will your feet be the ones? to bring the good news. There's a progression here. I'm sure you noticed it. He asks these questions. And he says, well, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's wonderful that whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, but how's it going to happen in verse 14? How is it going to happen? One of the great Christian leaders of the past says, remember, the gospel is only good news if it arrives on time. How is it going to happen? Well, it requires two things. Well, well, first look at the progression. First, you can call, but the only way you can call on Christ is if you know enough about him to believe. You only can believe if you have heard of him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, mark that word preacher, because that word preacher is, is the application is far broader, is far broader than, than what I am doing here this morning. Now, I certainly am preaching this morning. But what this literally means is, 
how are they going to hear without someone to proclaim the message? Someone to speak up. Someone to open their mouths and proclaim. How will they hear without a preacher? You see, I believe every single person in this room, if you know Christ, you have been called to be a preacher of the gospel. You have been called to be a proclaimer of the good news. And he says, how is it going to happen unless someone gives the message? How can they call on someone they haven't believed in? How can they believe in someone they've not heard of? Someone's got to give, someone's got to deliver the message. Do you understand this morning that even here in the United States, there are people who have heard the name of Jesus, but they have never truly heard the gospel? Do we understand that this morning? They've heard of Christianity, but they've literally just never heard the gospel. I remember one time when I was in college, I came home and I was working at the at um, Mount Snow. I was a ski instructor for a few years in, in between my college semesters. And it was just kind of a lull in the activity. And all of the staff, some of it, not all, but some of the staff were sitting around. And of course, they knew. I mean, it starts when you say, well, how can I be a proclaimer of the gospel? Can I give you the simplest way to start? As soon as possible, just let people know you're a Christian. That's the easiest way. I think we build a lot of anxiety and pressure in our lives. Like, how am I going to share the gospel? How am I going to do this? One of the best things you do, you get, you have, you, you get a new job, you're at work, you have friends you associate with. As soon as possible, just find a way. Mention God or something. And just let people know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Find a way. You'll, you'll be amazed that that will open doors. So these coworkers, they knew I was a Christian. It was actually one of my managers. And we were kind of sharing stories this person grew up, grew up in a very religious background. They had been to a, a religious, in the name of Christ, school. They grew up going to, to a parochial school. They knew things about the church. But I shared the gospel, that it's not by our good deeds, it's not by our good efforts, but it's only through Christ. And this person who at that time was well into their adult years, they said to me, I have never heard anyone explain it that way before, ever. And I see the nods going up all over. Maybe many of you, you're like, boy, when I, when I became a Christian, I had heard about Jesus, but I had never, I didn't know the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do, to give people the gospel, the good news. And it's going to happen different ways in different conversations with different relationships. But again, I would just encourage you, very first thing to do is just make sure people know that you're a Christian, you follow Jesus. And pray for God to give you those opportunities to preach. Not in this format, but just to have be able to speak up about what Christ has done for you. But it goes beyond that. There, all, there needs to be a willingness to go. Each of us, we need to be willing to go into our community. Mission starts here. We're, as we bring missionaries in who are going to go to the whole world, it's not enough for us to say, you know what, I will put my money in to support those missionaries, and now I've absolved myself of my obligation. It doesn't work that way. We must have, first of all, a willingness to go, but then we realize that there are people that we will never be able to reach Unless we send someone else. Unless we send someone else. And from the very beginning of the church, the church has been a missions organization. The very first church in Jerusalem, people were sent out. The early churches always sent people out to spread the news to the world. Can I ask this? Would you be willing to be sent out of this church and go? You'd say, well, I already have plans for my life. I already, I already, I already ha have a job lined up or education or, or maybe I'm past that stage in my life. Listen, I know stories of people who have gone to the mission field at all ages and all stages of life. Some have, some have spent, there's a great book, it was written maybe 10 or 12, maybe 15 years ago now by uh, David Platt. It's called Radical. Did anybody ever read that book? Maybe one or two? Well, great book. Pick it up. It'll challenge your heart for your part. 
And I'll never forget reading about this one church that was so burdened about their mission that they were a group of retired people. And they said they were just approaching their retirement. They had everything lined up. Fully funded retirement. And they said, you know what? We still have energy. We still have life. We still have vitality. And they said, we are going to spend, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years, maybe it was five years, whatever. They spent, we're going to spend these next years involved in mission work. And they packed up and their retirement was on the mission field. How many of you remember our men, quick trivia? Who are our missionaries to Portugal? Anybody know our missionaries to Portugal? Gideon, you know who is it? No, no, it's you got the M right. It's Bo and Valerie Moore. The Moors are in Portugal. And when we saw them, maybe two years ago now, I don't remember. Or no, it was yeah, in 2020 they were here. And they told us about a couple in their church in Portugal that are an American couple. And they decided to go retire in Portugal to help the work of the ministry. And they're like adopted family members to our missionaries in Portugal. And they serve alongside of them. Is that awesome or what? You're like, oh, I don't know what to say if it's awesome because what if God wants me to do that? It sounds awesome for them. Listen, for one thing, what we've got to do when it comes to being willing to be sent, we've just got to relax. Like, what do you mean? I mean, there's all this pressure and anxiety built up. Listen, if God were to call you to do something like that, it would be the most thrilling and exciting thing that could ever happen in your life. How do I know that? Because God's will is good. God's plan is good. So we've just got to get to a point in our life, and I have to get to a point in my life where I say, God, well, I plan to pastor at this church for a long time. But hey, I'm not... If God wants to come and say, Ethan, your family, you're done at Mount Greylock Baptist Church, and you're going to... I'm not going to say it because that'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe I should say someone really, somewhere really nice, you know? But anyway, I've got to be like, hey, that sounds like a great plan. But we look at everything from human eyes, right? Whereas we've got to say God's plan for my life is good. Listen, would you parents not just allow, you know, we, we act like, like we can give God permission to do things in our lives with our families. Mom and dad, would you be okay not just to say, God, if you want to, my kids to go to the mission field, I, I surrender to that. But would you go a step further and say, hey, you know, my kids, Gideon, Anna Joy, Nehemiah, Gracie, it would be awesome if God wanted you to be a missionary. I would be a, a, behind it 100%. Now, we're not, we should never try to fulfill our own lives through our children. I know, I think we all know that's unhealthy. But listen, our kids are passionate about what we are passionate about. Right? We are, so anyway, are you, are you at that point where you say, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And he might call you across the world or he might call you across the streets. You say, here I am. Send me. Send me. Now, if God doesn't call you to go, there's no shame in that either because it means he's called you to stay. Because not only is there a willingness to go, but there must be a willingness to, to send. To send. What does it take to send someone? What does it take to send someone? I mean, it sounds great in theory right here. How shall they go? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? Well, you've got to think about what it takes to send somebody. It takes a lot of financial resources, doesn't it? It takes a lot of financial resources to accomplish the mission. But wow, what an investment to make. To take your dollars and to send them to the mission field. To send them to the mission field. Support missionaries. We're going to, this is the one time of year, it, it just if you're newer to our church, just listen, I just want to let you know, this is one time of year where we're not at all afraid to talk about money. Not that we are ever, but I'm just saying, you're going to hear us talk about it a lot. And it's okay. We're not going to twist anybody's arm or guilt trip anybody, but we are going to challenge ourselves and challenge each other because this mission, this eternity-changing mission, takes money. 
And it doesn't take a few dollars a week. It takes a lot of money. I mean, really, let's just get real about it for a minute. It takes a lot of money to fully fund a family to relocate across the world where they're not allowed to work because of visa restrictions. They have to get a church established very often from nothing. They have to provide for their own needs. They also have to fund the needs of a ministry. That takes tens of thousands of dollars, if not up to $100,000 per missionary per year to make it happen. What level of investment are you and I making in that? Just got to ask that question. Just to, just to give you a little just, just personal illustration, when, when we were young, we were newly married, and by the way, young people, this, there's no better time in your life than when you're a teenager or a young adult to make these decisions about your finances. Just kind of talking with you a little bit here. Okay? There's no better time in your life than when you're young to get your finances in order now. But I know when we were when we were younger, we decided, Lord, I don't want to make I don't want to make car payments that are bigger than my missions giving. I don't want to make I, I, or my general giving to the church. I don't want to I, I want to be significantly invested in this thing. No, I'm not telling you, I'm just giving, and I've known Christians that, that have given far more than I've done. They've sacrificed their whole lives. I knew a pastor in, in, um, uh, in Las Vegas. This, uh, he wrote a book about how God used him to establish a church in a very difficult place. Their church was at a point where they were ready to build a building. And they didn't think they could fund it. And that pastor said, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We'll sell our house, we'll give all the money to the church, and then we'll just live on the church property. Now, he presented that to his church. He was prepared to do it. He went out on a limb to do it. And it worked out that God brought the money in another way. He didn't, he didn't, even, he didn't make that decision, but he was ready to do that. That, to me, I, I, I'm not prepared to make that kind of commitment. I've never made a commitment like that. And God calls different people to serve in different ways. If everybody gave everything, then there'd be no money to fund anything, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a balance there. I understand it. So I'm not, I'm not put, giving you, like, some legalistic, thou must give X percent. But I'm asking the question to all of us. This is why we have a missions emphasis. How significantly are we invested in world missions? And there are some challenging things. It would be, listen, you say, well, well, Ethan, I can't afford to. I'm going to speak a little bit bluntly right now. Okay? If you can't, a Christian should not be able to have Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, cable, whatever, but not support missions. Because those things are not necessities. Those are, those are luxuries in our life. So am I saying it's wrong to have those things? I have some of those things. But we have to make decisions in our life as to are we fully committed to the mission that Jesus left us here to do? So again, it, it, is, it, it is a personal matter between you and the Lord, and I completely respect that, and I understand that. But it is also my job to challenge both myself and as a leader of this church to challenge our church, to say, all right, do we take this seriously? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So just pray about it. How about that? Just pray and ask God. God, what would you have me to do? Because God's looking for some beautiful feet who are willing to go, willing to send, get that message out there. Get it out there. There were missionaries in the 1930s that went to China to work with the China Inland Mission. John and Betty Stan, how many of you ever heard of them? Those are the ones that are probably the most well-known 
but there were several others that went to work there. Well, this was about when the communist revolution happened in China. Christianity was a very, very, I mean, you talk about minority, there were so few Christians in China. And they wanted to evacuate all of the Christian missionaries. And the Stams and others, they said, no, we're going to stay. We're going to stay. We believe God's called us to, to do something here. And they gave their lives. They were killed in China. Be but once that door closed, once that door closed for, boy, I should have done my math. I don't know how long it was that China was gripped by communist, communism, maybe 50 years. There were no missionaries allowed in China. None. But because one group of pioneer missionaries said, our feet will go. And people back home said, we will send them. Today, in China, the church is on fire. I mean, it is illegal. It is persecuted. You can talk to John or Henry, who's new here, glad to have. They worship God in secret. But there are millions of believers in China. Millions of them. And I can just, I get convicted. I don't mean to put you on the spot, bud, but I get convicted every time I see him sing in church. Right? And just, just, and I think, though, that's just representative of there would be no church in China if people generations ago, generations ago, didn't bring the gospel there. Somebody said, we will go. Oh, I just, let's, those of you that are my age, let's not be the generation that, that causes it to stop. Beautiful feet. A willingness to go and a willingness to send. Then the gospel, this beautiful message, it needs beautiful feet, but it also needs obedient ears. It needs obedient ears. Look with me at verse number 16. Now, this is important. So God is just so impressed with the going and the beauty of his gospel heralds. But verse 16 is disappointing. And sometimes the work can be disappointing. Paul was disappointed. Why? Because they have not all what? They haven't all obeyed the gospel. That word obey is very interesting. It's difficult to translate. It's almost always translated obey. But it's difficult because it's a compound Greek word. And it actually is one of the compound words is the word to hear. To hear. Remember, faith comes by hearing. It, it, what we're going to see in a minute or before, how it, it, unless they've heard. Well, this is the idea that there are two ways of hearing. There is obedient hearing. How many of you ever said to your children, did you hear what I just said? That's the kind of hearing that we're talking about here. And, and Paul says there's some disappointment because the gospel, yes, it requires beautiful messengers who will send it, beautiful feet, but it requires obedient ears. People that will hear the message of the gospel and receive. Not all of our missionaries go to places where people are lining up to believe in Jesus. Now, some of them are, and it's exciting to hear about. And we'll have, we have missionaries in India. We have missionaries in places in Asia. We've got mission, like Bob DeWitt's going to tell us about um, Myanmar, even in South America, some of the, some of the countries. There is just a wide open door for the gospel. You start preaching the gospel. Our friend Bruce Patterson, who's a retired pastor from the um, Northside Baptist Church in, in uh, St. Albans, Vermont, he just went to the Philippines. I saw his pictures on Facebook. He'll come. Or, can we pick a date yet? Some, sometime in the next few months, we're going to have him come and talk about what happened. But he preached. They would bring him in the Philippines into public schools. And he would just preach. In classroom after classroom after classroom and give the gospel. And, and you talk about obedient ears, people that would hear the gospel say yes. Now, why does the gospel re require obedient ears? You say, even Romans teaches us that we're saved by faith, not obedience. It's the kind of obedience that, that says you have to obey the gospel because the gospel tells us some things that are wrong about ourselves. And if we're stubborn and proud, and if we think we can get through our lives on our own, we reject the gospel. 
You see, the gospel is good news for sinners, but it's, it's, it's critical news for self-righteous people. And so the self-righteous person or the prosperous person or the rich person or the, the, the wealthy Western person says, well, I'm doing pretty well in my life. I don't need any of your good news. The Jewish people in the day of Paul, they said, we have the prophets, we have the Old Testament, we do not need this news of Jesus. And sadly, they were disobedient ears. There's a rejection. Now remember the as it is written? There's another one here in verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, now he's quoting Isaiah. This is, this is intentional. This is designed to convict the Jewish reader of this text, because they know the Old Testament scriptures. So they would come to this, and Paul's talking about Jesus, and they've rejected, and he's like, oh, this, Paul says, with a bit of gentle sarcasm, this reminds me, your behavior reminds me of that prophet Isaiah. Ever heard of him? And he quotes Isaiah 53, 1, and I put it on your notes, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath, this is speaking of the coming Messiah. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. We sang that this morning. And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. This was prophecy that Messiah would be rejected. From the very be beginning of the message of Jesus, there have been those who would not obey the message of the gospel. And I just, the first part of the message this morning was directed to those of us who have believe the gospel, how, how well are we sharing our faith, how much are we committed to the mission, but right now I've got to ask the question for those that may not have received the gospel, have you, has there been a time in your life where you have submitted to the message of Jesus? You see, the people in the day, the Jesus who came was not the Jesus they wanted. They saw the cross, and we think of the sign of a cross as, as wow, that's where our salvation is secured. They think of the cross as shame. Why would I follow someone who was killed? They could not see the resurrection. But the grief and the sorrow of the cross remind us of how unworthy we are. That it took, it took an ignominious death to redeem a shameful people. And we must have obedient ears. And there are many people, as I said before, there are some places where the gospel is received immediately, but we have other missionaries that they plant churches in Europe, or they're planting churches even sometimes in the United States or in Canada, here in North America. They're, they're trying to plant churches, and they come up against very prosperous and educated cultures where people feel content with their lives. And we must pray for the power of the Holy Spirit on their ministries. And they don't see people come to Christ in scores or hundreds at a time, but they patiently work and they plant seeds and they see people come to Christ one by one by one. We spoke of China. It was Hudson Taylor, or not Hudson Taylor, it was Adoniram Judson who went to Burma all those years ago. I'd write some of these stories down and look them up, these missionary stories were. They're, they're being lost in our generation. Judson went to Burma, and I, I believe it was something like 15 years that he ministered there before the very first person came to Christ. But it was through that work that the scriptures were published in their language. And again, today, there are churches still in existence today because of that ministry. Because the gospel requires beautiful hearts, but we cannot make people believe. It requires obedient ears. Beautiful feet, obedient ears, and then finally, softened hearts. Softened hearts. 
Look at verse 19. Well, we didn't read eight, uh, actually, we didn't read uh, 17, so let's back up and we'll start there. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Now, I want you to notice what's happened here. A group of people, they have heard, and they have rejected. They have heard, just like I said before, that there are people even in our country that have never heard the gospel, there are many, many people who have heard the gospel and consciously rejected the message of the gospel. Don't let that break you down or wear you out. God's still at work. God is still powerful, and the Holy Spirit can still soften hearts. Is there anybody who would give a testimony? I don't mean to speak, but just raise your hand. You would say, before you came to Christ, you were critical of believers in Jesus. Would you hold your hand up? You had somebody. Go ahead, hold them high. So that people could look around the room, folks. I mean, hold those hands high. You were critical of Christians or Jesus. You mocked them. All right, put your hands down. That was incredible. This isn't the Bible Belt, right? But God was patient with you. God is long-suffering. Long-suffering and merciful. And the Holy Spirit is the expert at softening hearts. Softening hearts. You see, rejection does not stop the spread of the gospel. A couple things happen here. Now, this is interesting. Verse 18, he says to Israel, you have heard. Verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? Didn't you know? I mean, it was there. It was accessible. First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Do you see? You're like, what is that? The point is this, that Moses even prophesied that what would happen is these Jewish people would say, well, we have special status. We are the chosen of God, but then they reject Messiah. Well, And their rejection of Messiah and the Jewish rejection of Messiah, then God says, your hearts are hard. I will, open my, I will open the door to the softened hearts of the Gentiles. That was his plan from the beginning. And God said to Israel that, that he would raise up a people that were nothing. They were no people. You're like, a people that were no people? Yeah, it's called the New Testament church. It's not a, we don't have any, we don't have any, as the church was founded, it wasn't founded as a political entity. It wasn't founded with a national identity. It wasn't founded with some great ethnic heritage. It wasn't founded with even a culture. It didn't even have a culture. It was people from all the ends of the earth brought together and called the church of the living God. And other people rejoice in their ethnic pride or their national pride. Which, by the way, just going to put this out there. Be careful, conservative-minded American, that you don't have primary, your primary allegiance, my primary allegiance, is to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the church of God. It's not to the nation. That's secondary. Secondary. We are, we are Christians first, Americans second. That's the nature of the New Testament church. It's just Bible. And God says to the Jews, to that, those Jewish people that, hey, no, God is going to still do something. You see, your rejection will not stop the spread of the gospel. It will not. And people wring their hands. They wring their hands. And they say, oh, look what's happening in America. Did you see what Tucker Carlson said last night? Did you see how bad things are in America? And we're in big trouble here. And they wring their hands and they get worried. And I am 100%. I'm a very political person. Trust me. Just try not to, I try not to be in the pulpit. So, and I'm active. I'm going to vote. You should vote too. I'm all for it. But we wring our hands and we say, oh no, the church in America is in big trouble. God doesn't need the church in America. He doesn't need it. Do you know what the average Christian and the secularists, the secularists say, the secularists, they say, well... You know, Christianity is going to be gone in just a few years. 
Listen, for all the doom and gloom naysayers out there, the church is growing in leaps and bounds right now, possibly faster than at any other point in history. It is. And you can look at, this, you can look at the statistics, okay? You, you say, well, what do you mean? It may be shrinking here, but if, you were to, if I were to put a picture on the screen of what the average Christian, Bible-believing Christian in, a, in the world looks like, it's... Not a white Anglo-Saxon male. It's a, it's a black or brown female. That's just the, 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 that's what the data says. And you go to Africa right now, and the church is exploding. China, the church continues to grow. I believe, for all the doom and gloom naysayers, I believe that God is going to bring in one great harvest before Jesus returns. And we've got to believe that. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're not called to just hunker down and just hold the fort. And that's been the problem that the church has faced for years. There was a whole movement called monasticism where people said, okay, well, we're just going to go live in the monastery as the world gets them. No, we are to be armed with the word of God to take it into the world. And we ought to pray that God will save America. Don't get me wrong, okay? But that is not our purpose. Our purpose, Paul said to the Jews, Paul said to the Jews, if you don't want, they, they get ready to stone him. They're like, listen, you don't want the gospel. From henceforth, I go to the Gentiles. Listen, if all of America rejects the gospel, we can still go somewhere and find people with softened hearts ready to receive Christ. That's why we put, that's why we don't just talk about missions on, you know, once a year, but we put that mission letter in the bulletin every week. And we put the missions giving every week because, guys, I want to be a part of God's work around the world. Our church needs to be. God's, the rejection does not stop the spread of the gospel. But then finally, thankfully, rejection of Christ also does not stop God's grace and mercy. I would be like Paul. You picked on me. You don't like the gospel. I'll go give it to somebody else. But God is patient and merciful, and he keeps working on the hard hearts of those who reject. You see the final verse here? But to Israel he saith, all day long, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Listen, God's hand is stretched out. And when God stretches out his hand, there are really only two things that can follow. One, he stretches out his hand in judgment. Or two, he stretches out his hand to receive his child. The outstretched hand of the Lord. I've got to ask, are you, have you taken the gospel seriously? Has there been a time in your life where you've said, Jesus, I will obey your gospel, I will receive you? Because God's hand is still stretched out. If you have a friend or a family member or a coworker, someone who's been hard and cold to the gospel, don't give up. Be faithful. God is merciful. Jesus will save. Fanny Crosby wrote about that. Rescue the perishing. Cords that are broken will vibrate once more. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. That is the work we're called to. It's a beautiful mission. If you've been a recipient of the mission, you need to get on board with the mission. And may God stir all of our hearts in that regard. Would you just please bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This is our time of response this morning. Just a quiet moment right here. I would ask you to do something this morning. I don't always ask for a specific response. But would you do this? Would you, would you start your missions prayer right now? I mean, we're coming into our missions conference. We're talking about a mission to reach the world. We're, we're praying about giving. Would you start praying about your giving now, this morning? Would you start praying right now about your willingness to go? Would you begin right in this moment? And then if you 
are in here or you watch this message online and you have never yet received that glorious message of Jesus, would you make that decision today? You say, Ethan, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive Christ. Then why don't you call on his name? Pray a prayer, something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I am a sinner, but I believe that you died and rose again for me. And Jesus, I call on your name right now. I trust you and you alone to save me. Would you pray something like that? Call on the name of the Lord right now. Jesus, I receive you. If you did that today for the first time, I'd love for you to come let me know. Either send me a message online or let me know after the service. Say, yes, today I made the decision to receive Christ. Well, let's have a quiet moment as we all pray together. Ask God to just stir our hearts for his mission. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the salvation you've given us through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for those who go. Lord, we thank you uh, for our missionaries that we're able to support. We thank you for the rich history of missions, Lord, and men and women and families willing to give their life for the gospel. God, I pray that we would each be challenged in here this morning that or that we would have a part, that we would have a part in getting your gospel across the world. God, I pray that uh, we would be challenged, Lord, if, if someone in here doesn't know you as their savior, that they would understand their need, that they would put their faith in you today. In Jesus' name. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.